Welcome to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelics, psychotherapy, and the uneasy fit between a medicalized view of human suffering and the mysterious, mystical world of psychedelic drugs. I'm your co-host, Nathan Gates. And I'm your co-host, Brian Pilecki. We're two therapists and longtime psychedelic advocates who love to discuss all aspects of this fast-evolving field. Thanks for keeping it current with us. And thanks for keeping it weird as we dive into today's episode. If you're looking for a dependable platform for your psychedelic-assisted therapy practice or just your regular psychotherapy practice, look no further than OzMind. We're excited to have OzMind as one of our new partners at ASOC and as a supporter of this podcast. As the premier platform for this field, OzMind provides an all-in-one system with customized charting for ketamine, spravato, and traditional psychotherapy, as well as a patient app with over 40 validated rating scales and secure messaging options. By joining Osmind's Psychiatry Tomorrow newsletter, you'll also get access to over 10 guides and templates to help start and grow your psychedelic therapy practice. Take your practice to the next level with Osmind. And you could join Osmind today by using our link osmine.org slash ASOC that's O-S-M-I-N-D dot org forward slash A-S-O-C On this episode we interview Max Wolf. Max Wolf is a psychologist and psychotherapist and currently serves as the head of psychotherapy training and research at the Mind Foundation. His research is concerned with the psychotherapeutic mechanisms and contextual conditions of psychedelic occasioned psychological change and aims to make the findings of psychotherapy research applicable to the practice of psychedelic therapy. As a psychotherapist, Max works with cognitive behavioral acceptance-based and emotion-focused approaches. He directs the Mind Foundation's APT program, an international training in psychedelic augmented psychotherapy for psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and other mental health professionals. He is also involved as a researcher and study therapist in the EPISODE trial, a phase 2b clinical trial investigating the safety and efficacy of psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression at the Central Institute of Mental Health, Mannheim, Germany, and Scharreit University Medicine, Berlin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Altered States of Context. I'm your host, Brian Pilecki, along with my co-host, Nate. Hi, Nate. How are you today? Hello. Good morning. I'm good. And so I'm very excited to introduce our guest for today. Uh, Our guest is Max Wolf. Uh, I've known Max for a little while, um, involved in some trainings uh, for the Mind Foundation, and uh, had the privilege to work with some of uh, he and his colleagues uh, doing some psychedelic training. So hi, Max. Welcome. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for, for inviting me. Can you tell us a we little can... bit about yourself, Max? A little bit about what you're up to these days in the field of psychedelic therapy? Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name is Max Wolf. I'm from Germany. I live in Berlin. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a psychologist. Um, I, I divide my time between doing therapy, practicing psychotherapy. Uh, I'm also a study therapist in, um, in the uh, episode study. That's a, 
government-funded um, clinical trial of psilocybin-augmented um, psychotherapy for treatment, so-called treatment-resistant depression. Um, I uh, am also the head of psychotherapy training uh, and research at the Mind Foundation. So we we um, we uh, train mental health professionals um, to to conduct psychedelic augmented psychotherapy and uh, psychedelic integration therapy. Mm. Yeah, and I also do some some in the the little bit of time that I have left for that. Uh, I also. Uh, do some some research in the context of the clinical trial, and I'm always also uh, interested in um, yeah, in, in theoretical uh, approaches to to psychedelic therapy. To how can we understand um, how this therapy works, and how can we um, understand how it works uh, in concert with with psychotherapy? So that that is my my main research interest. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and, and there's so much we, we want to ask you about. Uh, I guess one, one place to start would be to talk a little bit more about um, the episode study. Uh, my understanding that it's, uh, it's a, a funded by Ger- Germany. So it's, um, that's a little unique or different than at least in the U.S. and a lot of other countries where psychedelic therapy is not yet funded or we're on the cusp, at least in the U.S., of uh, having NIMH fund uh, psychedelic research. Um, so I'd be curious to hear a little bit about that and um, how are there any differences in the way that you're approaching the model as compared mm-hmm. to, let's say, the prior studies at Imperial College or Yale or NYU? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's true what you said. It's a it's a government-funded study that the German government uh, um, um, finances the the study in its entirety, um, and it's a relatively large study. It's uh, we, we treat 144 um, patients, um, and uh, we have two study centers. Um, the trial is led by Professor Gerd Gründer at the Central Institute of Mental Health in Mannheim. He's also involved in the therapy training that we provide here at the Mind Foundation. Um, He's the he's the the, um, the principal investigator of this trial, and we have one study center in Mannheim and one in in Berlin, the Charité Berlin. These are the two largest university clinics, uh, psychiatric university clinics in Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, by now we have treated about eighty patients, um, and we hope to finish um, treating all one hundred forty four in two thousand twenty three. Mm. The study protocol is, is relatively similar to um, how psychedelic therapy is done in contemporary psychedelic um, therapy trials. Um, there are some specifics um, that make this study, uh, I think, particularly interesting or that, that uh, make it um, uh, distinguish it from other studies. Uh, one of them is that we systematically uh, vary the, the uh, and compare groups um, that received different treatments. So we have uh, three treatment, ar- treatment arms um, and one of them splits up after the first dose. So we have a, a, um, a group that gets um, 25 milligrams of psilocybin. We compare that with a, another group that 
um, gets two, uh, five uh, milligrams and then um, uh, a placebo group. And then six weeks later, there's a second dose and uh, then everyone gets psilocybin. So who hasn't had the large dose uh, in the first uh, round, they will get the large dose then. And a proportion of those who already had the, the large dose in the first uh, dosing session will get another large dose. So we will be able to um, to compare um, the effects of having one large dose versus two large doses of psilocybin. Um, one might expect that two large doses are twice as good as one large go uh, dose or... Uh, <laughs> But Maybe. we don't know yet. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we haven't. There, there's. It hasn't been looked at systematically so far. So that will be one of the things that right. we'll be looking at. And another thing that distinguishes this study from um, some other studies is that there is a there is a crossover. Um, so everyone, we don't have a control group that gets nothing. In some studies, we have seen that. Uh, Participants are assigned to either psilocybin or placebo, or either psilocybin or um, uh, escitalopram, and then uh, that's it. Yeah, and we may we we might expect that this would lead to a lot of disappointment. Um, yeah. In participants, there are some ethical um, considerations here, but also from a scientific perspective, um, one can argue that it's not really a fair comparison when you compare um, psilocybin versus acetalopram plus disappointment. Yeah. So right. we, we try to avoid that by doing this crossover. Yeah, in our study, everyone gets psilocybin eventually. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, a there's neat a... study design and go ahead, Nate. Um, no, you, you go ahead. I'll, I'll save my comment for after. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a neat study design. Uh, you know, the question about dosing, I think, is so interesting, and it's one that often comes up. Um, how often will I need to do this? What's the right dose? And that's something that we really haven't started really looking at yet. So it sounds like your study will be able to uh, start to make those comparisons around what, what, you know, what size of a dose is optimal, um, at least for this population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also uh, from the experimenter's point of view, mm, something I have already learned in this study is that it's it's not so easy always to to um, uh, to guess if if a person is having twenty five uh, milligrams or five milligrams. There are people who 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 um, have I, I believe there are people who have quite strong psychedelic experiences on five milligrams already mm -hmm. um, and we only really know when they get the second dose and they say ah uh, I thought I already got the big dose last time uh, and now I'm really sure there is a lot of um, discussions about blinding the problem of blinding yeah. in, in psychedelic mm -hmm. therapy studies and one way um, uh, of attenuating or of, of um, dealing with this problem is also to, to vary the doses. And it is really hard for, for naive participants to distinguish, and also for therapists who work with a patient for the first time, to distinguish um, or to really know if the patient is having a high dose or a low dose, uh, or if a patient is having a low dose or placebo. So th these three groups that we have, uh, 
they also also makes it harder for us to to break the blind yeah yeah it's like a you know and, and you mentioned you know sometimes on five dose people can have a really um big experience um um, but I, I've also seen high dose people in general on psychedelics also not have much of a response at all. I've seen, you know, so it, it's, you know, I think that there's, um, can be a bit of a trade off there, uh, or both directions. So that, that makes sense. And, and I can imagine how it's not always easy to tell the difference between 25 and five, although I, I'm pretty skeptical that it wouldn't be pretty obvious if somebody was zero versus, hmm. um, even five. But, um, yeah, blinding seems to be a problem and, you know, you keep reading and it's, it's common criticism of, you know, psychedelic research is a common criticism is the blinding. And I'm like, well, that's not really a criticism of psychedelic research so much as it is the limitation of our methods. Mm. Um, you know, we're trying to, it seems like there's a lot of trying to fit psychedelics into a, a model of clinical trial that doesn't make any sense at all. And that's a, problem with the trials not with the drug right we need to think and then that's the cool thing about this is there's kind of like okay well let's be creative we can't use the same exact mm. methods mm. here um, because this is a different drug this is a different experience yes absolutely um i mean we, we have the same uh, the same problem with psychotherapy research if we want to mm -hmm. to assess the efficacy of psychotherapy we we cannot do placebo psychotherapy uh, the, we would have the same problem and nobody would complain about that it, it's very obvious um, that that it's not a, a viable thing to do um, to compare psychotherapy against placebo yeah. um, and I think yeah this is this is a, a problem with with uh, the way psychedelic clinical research has to be done uh, nowadays um, uh, within a medical model where we 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 think about approving substances for medical use whereas what we really do is we um, we want to investigate a form of psychotherapy that that uses mm -hmm. specific substances to to induce uh, to to deepen to augment the psychotherapeutic processes i'm not sure if this is controversial um but I believe, and this is also the, uh, the, the firm stance of the, the therapy training um, that we provide here at MIND, is that psychedelic therapy is psychotherapy. Mm. Yeah, I, I often say, with the, and I think what we're talking about here is a, you know, just a real big divide. Like, is this a drug or is this a therapy? You know, and to me, it's it's clearly an experience that you learn from. That's how I think of it. This is an experience that you learn from, which is what psychotherapy is. Psychotherapy is an experience that you learn from more or less. Right. But like a drug treatment, you know, when you want to double blind it, it's almost like you don't want your participant to have any agency. We just want to test and see if the drug works or not. And you shouldn't even know what your experience has been. We just want to see if the drug is acting upon you in a way to have the desired effect. And that's just not even kind of what's happening in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. You know, you're having an experience and experience is the thing. And you're learning from that in a process, you know, like, like, I don't think it actually has to be psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is a process mm. for making sense of and learning from it, but there is a way yeah. of translating that experience into 
learning. And that's just like a completely different way of looking at the problem than mm -hmm. someone who's being like, well, does this drug work or not? Yeah. I, that's just a silly way to look at it, if you ask mm -hmm. me. Yeah. 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 And that one could think of, of different models of, of testing the effect of um, the effect that a drug has on a psychoactive drug, like a psychedelic, uh, has on psychotherapeutic processes. We, if that was the question, uh, we would we would use very different methods to study uh, these therapies. And so, in in psychotherapy research, um, what, one of the domains of psychotherapy research is process outcome research. Yeah? So we look at the therapy process. We we look at, um, uh, for instance, um, uh, specific experiences of. Um, clarification yeah that would be the, the experience of understanding oneself better yeah or uh, an experience of mastery or coping yeah it's the experience of being able to deal with a problem in, in a new way yeah um, or experiences of what can be referred to as resource activation yeah an experience of of um, being able to see oneself um, as a uh, um, through the lens of approach motivation instead of avoidance motivation, yeah, a person who has um, who has uh, aspirations uh, and values, one could say, yeah, and um, uh, these are our therapy processes that we can measure um, using psychometric instruments, but also ratings of video videotaped sessions, um, and we can investigate how this relates to the outcome of therapy this has been done for for 60 years in in psychotherapy research and that is how we know um how psychotherapy works i mean of course we don't know everything but there there are some things that, that are that are known about how how psychotherapy works regardless of the specific therapeutic um, modality or or therapy school you know there, there's a a handful of um, one could refer to them as common factors or general change mechanisms um, that that um, um, uh, characterize effective psychotherapies, and um, the idea that or the the way that I would like to be able to um, investigate psych uh, psychedelic augmented psychotherapy is to do just this yeah to to look at the therapeutic processes um yeah clarification mastery coping resource activation the therapeutic relationship of course yeah? um to look at these things and to see to vary systematically um uh, different substances different doses uh, and see how that affects these processes over the therapy process. Yeah. So let's say you compare uh, um, you compare uh, a psychotherapy um, without a psychedelic uh, to a psychotherapy where there is um, a dosing session early in the therapy process, or a dosing session late in the therapy process, or several dosing sessions, or different substances. Yeah. And then you you could study how this affects the therapy process yeah? uh, and ultimately affects the therapeutic outcome that kind of mechanistic research i think that that's the way we should we should uh, be able to look at at um at psychedelic therapy in in, in research studies 
and and that is based on the idea that psychedelic therapy is is psychotherapy yeah, yeah i completely agree with you there max i you know it's, it's like the drugs get all the attention they're the they're the hot topic they're the buzz that's what all the media articles are written about you know and uh the the therapy part of psychedelic assisted therapy is often uh downplayed or minimized in you know yeah. media reports and and all of that so i yeah i completely agree with you uh I, i'd love to talk with you about a paper that you wrote um i've been really excited to have this conversation with you uh you wrote a paper called learning to let go a cognitive behavioral model of how psychedelic therapy approaches acceptance and this article was one of those articles that I read and I was like, this, you articulated something that I thought or that I had, a, you know, I had experiences of myself personally, and I thought was a potential mechanism of uh, psychedelic assisted therapy or, or process of psychedelic assisted therapy. And uh, so my understanding of, of this paper, and I'm going to put this in my own words a little bit, is that it's almost like the rules of life are reversed in psychedelic sessions, where in normal life, avoidance is reinforced. Uh, if I cancel plans, I feel better. Or if I am stressed and I have something to drink, I feel better. And so a lot of the suffering we get into behaviorally over time is the result of avoidance being reinforced in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, and then in a psychedelic session, this is kind of upside down because often when you avoid your feelings in a psychedelic journey, it gets worse, actually. It doesn't get better. And you begin to see like, oh, this is not, this is not so helpful. And yeah. you're kind of th those that different set of rules can encourage you to move in a different direction towards acceptance and have this experience maybe of, oh, if I open up to this discomfort and it, I actually let it get bigger, I experience it, I experience it fully, I see it, maybe I learn from it, and then it passes along. And now I've got a different model that mm -hmm. I could use in my day-to-day -day life about how to deal with discomfort. Um, so I'd love to just hear like how close was that to your ideas when you were mm. writing this paper and, and yeah, what your thoughts about acceptance are. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you, first of all, for, for, um, um, for the, the, the kind words about that paper. Um, I, I think what you described is, is actually, um, I, I don't want to claim that these are, are my ideas um, because this is something that is um the idea that uh, letting go or opening up to a, a difficult experience uh, that this is beneficial um the idea or the, the practice of recommending um this to patients or, or to people in general undergoing psychedelic experiences in terms of harm reduction in psychedelic therapy but also in traditional practices with, with psychedelics this is very much common knowledge uh, to um speak metaphorically if there's a monster don't run away from it but rather either observe it or even walk towards it and ask what are you doing in my mind um, so um theoretical or in a more abstract language what is recommended is an approach motivation towards the the psychedelic experience 
in its entirety and it is it is people are discouraged to to respond in in a in avoidant ways to um especially to to aversive aspects of the psychedelic experience so this is this is all known for a long time um and i believe the way that we do that psychedelic therapy is is practiced nowadays is very much um builds at least implicitly on on that um view or on on that um knowledge if you look closely uh, at how we we do psychedelic therapy now in the dosing sessions people lie down people wear eye shades they listen to music they're encouraged to um to spend most of the time in an introspective state there is relatively restricted movement of course people are allowed to move yeah but um it's it's not like people can easily get up and walk around uh, all the time yeah so th this is a, a context i think um that is supposed or that has the effect um of maximizing this this mechanism that you described the mechanism of in the paper we refer to it as avoidance sensitivity i'm not sure if it's a if it's a good term um and we don't know what exactly it is and how we can describe it on a on a psychological or on a on a also on a neuro um, physiological level but the um, phenomenon that responding in avoidant ways you know, repressing uh, certain images or trying to control certain thoughts or trying to um, uh, distract yourself um, these kinds of avoidant responses they will often lead to an increase in in aversive experiencing mm. Mm. so you you the the reason we call this avoidance sensitivity is mm, to give it a, a neutral name for uh, what people can sense in this state you you avoid something and there's immediately a feedback a negative feedback it it gets more unpleasant and um I believe this avoidance sensitivity is not a, is not God given. It does not always happen. It depends on very much on the context, and this context that I described, that is commonly employed in, in psychedelic therapy, no movement, no uh, opportunities for for um, distraction with uh, visual input or um, uh, restricted movement, uh, lying down, um, having relatively undefined sensory input only this all maximizes this this um this mechanism of of avoidance sensitivity i can i can explain some ideas on why i think that that is the case but let's just say for now that this is why psychedelic therapy is is done the way it is um if we allowed people to walk around and if we allowed people to change the music whenever they want and if we i mean they can do it of course they can ask but it's it's not encouraged right or if we if we gave people a, a highly stimulating visual environment um let's say if we did it on a festival yeah on a psychedelic festival yeah um then we would not ideally use this uh this mechanism because people would would very 
would be much better able to avoid things mm. and it would be it would feel less unpleasant to avoid something and it would be much easier to to um take the decision and say okay i don't want to look at this yeah and then uh, with the uh, belief relaxation that accompanies or that, that let's say that that characterizes psychedelic experience this can actually uh, probably have some negative uh, consequences as well when i when i um, um, have these experiences of avoiding something and then having relief from it right um, right in in the, much the same way that it happens uh, in normal waking states when when for instance anxiety disorders arise there's this conditioning that you mentioned so i i don't think what what i'm trying to say is this can also happen in, in, in psychedelic states. And with psychedelic right. therapy, we, we try to, to, um, to minimize that possibility and to maximize the, the chance that, um, that people have avoidance sensitivity. And then they, they have this conditioning process that we describe of learning to let go. Yeah. So maybe it's not like the rules are reversed there because uh, there there are similarities. I, you, what you're describing uh, in terms of the model of psychedelic assisted therapy reminds me of clients or people who will say things like um, that have trouble being still. They have trouble being with their thoughts. You know, they listen to podcasts as they fall asleep and there's always they're always doing two or three things. And in our current culture, right, it's easy to be distracted. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of clients who just being still and quiet with their internal experience in mm. a two or three minute meditation is, yeah. is so aversive. And maybe that's because, yeah, the distraction stuff doesn't work as well when mm. you slow down and you're mm -hmm. just with your experience. Yeah. And I, I think looking at psychedelic festivals uh, from that angle, I think it's an interesting thought. By the way, I have nothing against psychedelic festivals. And, <laughs> I, and that is precisely, that is because I, I don't think that therapy is the only purpose of, uh, or the only useful thing that you can do um, with these experiences. Um, but um, that being said, when you look at the, uh, when you compare the setting of a, of a, of a um, let's say, Burning Man festival, I haven't been there, um, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, but if you if you compare that setting with a with a, a therapy setting, um, the, the the festival environment almost seems purposefully designed to facilitate um, avoidance. Yeah. Um, you will have when you run into a difficult uh, experience or an experience that you don't want to have. People don't go to these festivals to work on their problems necessarily, yeah? but really, but more to uh, for other things, for more positive motivations. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it's an interesting thought to 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 look at the the, the um, potential consequences of of having an an environment that facilitates avoidance of of yeah. um, difficult psychedelic experiences and an env environment that makes it purposefully difficult to avoid things. I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I love this. It makes great sense. I love this way of, of thinking um, and, and talking about it. Because um, it really is, as you said, right, we're talking about a psychotherapeutic process. And like Brian was alluding to, that avoidance, you called it, I think, avoidance sensitivity. I mean, that's plainly there 
and psychotherapy as well. I mean, not mm. psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. It's, it, you know, it's, it's there. It's just, you know, in life or um, at a, you know, a, a festival, if you're on psychedelics, it's just like, it's reinforcing to avoid it because you can forget about it. But if you're in a context in which you're not able to just fully repress it and it's still sort of there on some level, it makes its presence very, very uncomfortable. You know, mm. like you can't just, you can't, you can't get it out. And so the context kind of influences that, you know, it influences whether you can easily avoid something or not. Um, yeah. But then I think the other piece is, you know, to flip it, it also makes um, approach less aversive, you know, um, which also happens in psychotherapy. Well, you know, when a person mm. can approach safely, you know, without psychedelics, that uh, approach even to uncomfortable things is much less aversive um, in that context. So if you're creating a context in psycho psychedelic assisted psychotherapy that maximize, mm. it, it almost just like amplifies a tendency that's there anyway. Mm. Yes, I, I can, I can absolutely agree to, to all of that. And um, I liked especially the, the, what you said about avoidance sensitivity is, is something that happens in every psychotherapy. Uh, it's just, uh, implemented in a different way but you can look at psychotherapy like that i'm sitting as a patient i'm sitting with my therapist and they they pay very close if they're a good therapist they pay, pay very close attention um to to any avoidant tendency that they notice in the way i i act in the therapy room you know? uh, and they will um direct my attention to it yeah so um I think it's a it's a great way of, of showing another parallel between between psychedelic experiences and and non psychedelic psychotherapy. Uh, we could or also even, say, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, or even like um, uh, comparing then psychedelic experience in therapy to psychedelic experience in not therapy. Like you have um, a festival, and again. I agree with you completely. Like we're not using this as a boogeyman. It's, it's a different thing and that's fine. Yeah. And that's great. You know, and, and, and can utilize some of the aspects of the psychedelic experience that are um, different, not necessarily overtly therapeutic, but still um, life enhancing and wonderful. So I, we're not setting this up as a boogeyman at all. It's just different. That's all. But I compare yeah. like um, the same process on the spectrum between like a, a festival versus um, sitting around a campfire. Um, right. You're sitting around a campfire that to me almost has a similar energy to what like you're sitting there, you're planted, there's a fire, but it's not like you're you're unless you get up and leave the fire ring. Mm. Um, you're with it. Right. Like you're with whatever comes up. And I, I found that to be sort of a similar process in which, you know, like it, it's that avoidance sensitivity is at play and it really encourages going into whatever your experience is. And that's one that's sort of like. Uh, in the world, I think is a similar mm. process and, and and kind of a way that people commonly use um, psychedelics mm. without therapy, but it's still kind of in that same process, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, the, I think for me, the similarity between between the campfire um, and and the psychedelic therapy rooms, I mean, the most obvious one that, that um, jumps into the eye is people don't do anything. Yeah? You're not acting. Mm -hmm. um, you're You're not... I'm not sure if that's the right term in English. You're not behaving. Um, 
<laughs> you're you're not moving you're not walking around you're not taking decisions basically right. you're, not, you're not taking decisions but you're you're uh, observing something mm. and i think um you said this yeah, at the campfire you can get up and leave of course um but the, i think there is a at a good campfire there is this convention that people stay yeah and and that is an intention yeah um, to stay seated there yeah and i think that there's that's... also sort of like that magnetism or, or magic of a fire itself that i think has its own force that draws that draws you to it but that's yeah. just me <laughs> yeah i mean i i think that speaking about therapy settings fire uh we wouldn't allow, be allowed to use fire even a candle uh we wouldn't be allowed to use one in 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 the settings where we use um, psilocybin now in the study settings um, for the fire hazard. But I think uh, having a fire, um, it, it could be a could be a really a great group therapy setting to have uh, people sitting around a fire. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about your thoughts regarding where this is all going over the next, you know, five years or so in terms of the model that has emerged. We're talking about this model that we've developed that goes back to the fifties and mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the first wave of psychedelic research in the, in the U S and other Western countries um, has remained fairly stable Um uh, you know, a person, as you're describing, lies down with eye shades and music, and uh, they're encouraged to be still and to be with their experience. Um, and then, so what? You know, is that are we going to are we going to continue to see that? And it sounds like you're interested in things that I'm really interested in, which is varying the therapy, like doing research that looks at what really more about like maybe even the before and the after, uh, more so than the actual drug mm. sessions themselves mm. yeah so i think um probably uh, we what people said keep seeing um, in the next years is um models that are relatively similar to what we do at the moment relatively minimal therapy uh, and then <clears throat> uh, dosing sessions that are high dose and and very introspective with little interaction um I think that's this is how if we if we talk about psilocybin this is how psilocybin uh, studies are are going to be done until the uh, the drug is approved as a uh, as a medicine and then after that I think um there will probably be uh, room for for much more experimentation um and I think pragmatically I think um what should be tried first is to extend the psychotherapeutic component before and after uh, dosing sessions. In the study that we do, and in most other studies, um, it's similar. We we have only two sessions before with a patient before they um, uh, they, they they get uh, before they um, uh, they have the dosing session. That's the first session is very much only getting to know each other. And the second right. session is is already very practically 
uh, oriented preparation for the session. So there's very little real psychotherapy going on there. And one could build easily come up with hypotheses um, for whether or not this is an ideal uh, uh, way of, uh, of conducting this therapy. Um, a hypothesis that that I mm, that that I would formulate is that it's probably um, not ideal to um, to to conduct a dosing session before a patient has um, a model uh, a valid model of what's wrong with them. Yeah. And I mean, it can be debated how how differentiated uh, that model has to be, but I think there should be a, a consensus between the therapist and the patient on on um, what's wrong. Um, um, the reason I I think that that is true is because um, just from my own observations, uh, the patients that I have worked with who seem to benefit most are the ones who have already benefited from a previous psychotherapy. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that makes me that, that 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 makes me think we should probably try and have 10 sessions of therapy mm. before before doing a dosing session. And then again you can you can see how I'm German and, and not American because in Germany um, public insurance will pay um, up to 80 sessions 80 sessions of of um, um, psychotherapy um, if it's behavioral therapy uh, cognitive behavioral therapy psychodynamic therapy is 120 psychoanalytic is 200 something i don't even know the number and and the state will pay for that so we, we we're talking uh, about a different ecosystem here yeah um but certainly the, the way i i imagine psychedelic therapy to to be conducted in in germany in a few years is in the context of actual psychotherapies mm. uh, that can be it's not that, that most therapies are 80 sessions long here uh, most most uh, uh, therapies are, are something between 20 20 24 sessions is, is called short-term therapy in germany yeah um <laughs> that's what that's that's what we're talking about and i think yeah. We should we should try and see what what happens when when we combine psychedelics with actual state of the art therapy that is done by by well trained psychotherapists. Because now, even though I, I said before that psychedelic therapy is psychotherapy, I don't. I think it's hard to imagine that um, the way this is investigated in clinical trials nowadays, um, that this is really an, an optimal psychotherapeutic container. How, how, how much psychotherapy can already have happened in two sessions? Right. Yeah. So that should be varied a lot, I think. Um, and we could also build hypotheses about the kind of therapy that you do when you do a, a more, let's say, more um, uh, a therapy that's more focused on 
um, coping or mastery experiences like CBT, or I would even count ACT into that, um, a therapy that is um, focuses on uh, on learning new ways of dealing with things or of, of dealing, uh, relating to oneself, yeah? uh, versus a therapy that is more about clarification, understanding, self-understanding, um, we could imagine that the, the psychedelic experiences that people have can be very different um, in, in between such therapies. So that, that would be something to look at. And then, of course, uh, it would be nice if we, if we could start also varying the, the dosing sessions themselves. Nowadays, we have this psychedelic, historical psychedelic model with... Uh, high dose, several hours session where people are mostly internally focused, um, and there there could be different things that we could do. We could do group therapies with lower doses, um, therapies that are more um, similar to the historical psycholytic model, where um, there is a an element of talking therapy within a dosing right. session. Right. It's debatable whether whether that should be uh, um, that should be psychoanalysis or one could also try um, one could also try emotion focused therapy or of course act. Yeah, I think any any um, any therapy that that is able to use relatively simple language um, mm-hmm. should should be uh, tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I want to, um, <laughs> yeah, at, yeah, at the risk of um, gushing a little bit, I remember um, when we first talked about having you on on the podcast, I, I actually was like, Brian, there's this guy that I interact with you a fair bit on Twitter. And I'm like, this is that guy makes more sense talking about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy than any person I have encountered. <laughs> we got to have this guy on. And, Matt, and, and Brian's like, oh yeah, Max, Max is awesome. Let's do it. I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> um, so it was, it's fantastic. And, and as you're talking here, it's just, you know, it, it um, um, kind of like literally makes my hair stand up on end. Cause I'm like, this is exactly what is exciting here. Right. You know, you know, there's so much, I think, in the public conversation right now that's not exciting <laughs> it treats it exactly like this really um you know just like a drug does this drug work or not and we have to test it like a drug but like it's so much more fascinating and useful than that and 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 the way that you can you know alter the context and the type of psychotherapy and i really appreciate especially you know talking about when you're working with somebody instead of thinking about this as like a well this is a course of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy so we need to like do this course it's like well actually there's the sense making process that we need to help our person that we're working with make sense of themselves and what their problem is and so they can go into this psychedelic session kind of with an understanding of themselves and use that session to then deepen that to work on specific things and it isn't um i don't think um ideally and this is something as a you know i've practiced psychotherapy um as my full-time occupation uh, for over a decade now. And and I am an ACT therapist, but one of the things I have found over time is that I'm, I'm just far less dogmatic than I used to be about any sort of therapy. Um, really what it is, is I want to help the person in their own words, in their own language, understand 
with understand their situation, understand themselves. And, and that can look like, like I, I'm thinking in terms of act processes, usually, though not always, sometimes I'm thinking in terms of uh, literature and novels that I've read. I mean, it, 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 the point is you're just helping the person make sense of their experience and, and to then think of how we, psychedelics can leverage that sense-making process in context, you know, uh, it's, just, it's just very exciting. It's just very exciting to think about how that can be done in different settings in different ways. So I just, I'm kind of wanting to just um, appreciate and inject some excitement, I guess, is all. I don't know what I'm adding there other than appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nate. I'm not sure what to say. I mean, uh... <laughs> If you want to meet more people who who make sense when talking about psychedelics, <laughs> come to come to Berlin next year. Uh, we have a conference in next September, the twenty three Inside Conference. I promise there will be people who talk more sense than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? I'm it's curious. Amazing, to... It's amazing to think about the context. Sorry, Brian. It's just the the context too of like Germany, right? Like covering so much therapy and it being understood yeah. that this is part of a process versus profit-driven good old us of a which is like how can we make money off this and you just don't make money off of labor you make money off of selling a drug so it's like how much of how we're looking at it is an artifact of you know the context in which you know people are trying to um hmm. utilize this you know that's that's another contextual thing but sorry brian go ahead yeah and i think that's you know the i i don't know uh, I've never been to Germany. I don't know what the culture is like, but it, I would say, you know, in American culture, there is this uh, real desire for the magic bullet or the quick fix or the next product or the thing that is the is the life hack that I just do this little thing and then everything's going to be okay. And the disappointment that can come from that false idealization putting all one's eggs in the psychedelic basket. I mean, I've really seen that many times with clients. They build up this idea. They build up this expectation. And when it doesn't work out that way, and even when it goes well, right, it, it's usually not just a quick fix. It's not an easy path. Um, people people get disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think... Mm, that's also one of the reasons why um, really integrating psychedelics into or psychedelic therapy into psychotherapy um, will it will help us overcome this dichotomy of now I'm doing psychedelic therapy and that will do all the work. The way I imagine it to be um, ideally in a few years in the German system, yeah. People like nowadays um, go to psychotherapist. Um, they they start a therapy for if it's short term therapy with uh, in a CBT based or in a behavioral tradition, which would include things like ACT, but also other third wave therapies. Um, that would be twelve or twenty four sessions short term or sixty sessions long term. Yeah, and then you can even get twenty sessions on top if after sixty se sessions it's not done. And then you have to wait for two years before you you have a good chance of getting another approval, right? But so, sorry for the bragging. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, the, the way I imagine it is uh, that so nowadays it's it's like this in in Germany as a, as a therapist when I have a client um, and they apply for long term therapy I have to write a, a case formulation I have to write it down uh, based on the uh, on on the 
therapeutic orientation that I have. I'm a, I'm a behavioral therapist, so I have to do a, a case formulation that is a, a kind of behavioral. But broadly, right, this can include um, general change mechanisms. It, it can include all kinds of third wave approaches. Um, but it's like a four pages long um, I, presentation of the patient, um, a, a, a model of what's wrong with them and a treatment plan. Uh, and I have to argue very carefully. And then this will be sent to a reviewer who uh, either approves um, the therapy or what I would imagine is in a, to have the, in a few years the, the possibility to write in my treatment plan things like um, psilocybin dosing sessions um, with this or that model. Yeah. That, and it wouldn't be a special thing. It wouldn't be a completely different therapy that I apply for, but it would be one of the interventions. It could be that in the same treatment plan, I suggest at the same level, things like ex exposure therapy, um, disputation of, of uh, thoughts, um, yeah, uh, um, skills training, uh, what have you. Yeah. So bringing it to that level. Yeah? And then as a therapist, I would have, the, the flexibility within the treatment to decide when is together with my patient, if at all, and if so, when is a good moment to do that. And I hope that in the future with research, um, we, we will have good data and, and a good basis for decision-making of what are criteria for a good time point in, in a therapeutic process for doing a, a, a psychedelic dosing session. Um, yeah, should we should we do that at the very beginning? Should we do it conditionally? Yeah, only after the patient has, for instance, um, uh, had certain kinds of uh, um, progresses already. Um, how how does this therapeutic relationship have to be in order for the, for there to be little risk and and, and um, maximum benefits? So this is this is, is very much informed let's say um to be informed by by empirical research yeah? but in in principle i imagine it to be one tool in a in the large box that we already have right yeah yeah that's great and um you know and i think the um that's a huge part i think that's often missing um is you know that putting the psychedelic experience into a larger context of change. You know, it isn't just an island. It isn't just a thing, you know, you, you, that you go do. Um, you know, there is there is a process before, during, and after. Um, psychotherapy is a specific, you know, way of leveraging that, like you're describing. Um, but I think when we think of, um, but it isn't the only way, you know, and, and like, especially like, like we talked about fire, we talked about groups, we talked about things that, you know, are, uh, you know, not even necessarily what we would call traditional psychotherapy. But I think if, if you think in terms of a, an experience that people can learn from, and then make sense of their own lives differently, it, it also opens up possibilities, um, you know, far beyond the psychotherapeutic frame for supporting people um, in, um, you know, making changes to, to their lives for the better. Tell us a bit more about Mind Foundation. Uh, one of the things that 
can get confusing for clinicians here in the U.S. is um, how to make sense of all the various training programs, you know, what type of training, uh, what is it going to actually allow me to do. Uh, so I'd be curious just to hear a little bit about uh, the training approach at Mind Foundation and how that's been going. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sure. So at, at Mind, we're doing a two-year professional training um, called APT or APT, Augmented Psychotherapy Training. Um, that is a training that's it's open for um, different kinds of mental health professionals. They, they learn in a group. Um, we have three courses running now. Um, each has about 30 participants. We have a, a fourth one starting in March, and then um, we will have four courses. Um, and a typical apt course will have um, uh, about half uh, of the participants, psychiatrists, uh, another half um, psychotherapists who are psychologists. Uh, there's also always a handful of more somatic doctors, um, anesthesiologists. Um, sometimes we have people like social workers, um, um, complementary therapists who, who do things like, um, let's say, music therapy. All the different roles um, that, you, that you can imagine to, um, being part of the kinds of multi-professional teams that, that will, or that, let's say, that already provide uh, psychedelic augmented therapies in, in, uh, within the, ment the, the mental health care system. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, a, um, uh, it's a training that's, that's a hybrid model. Uh, we, we have uh, intensive training weeks here in Berlin, and then we have continuous online training with different formats. Uh, you, Brian, you, you've given a lecture already in, in APT. I hope to, you give another one soon. <laughs> you've given two already, I think, two yeah. or three. Even. three. Mm. And um, our aim uh, with this course is to train mm, to train people in psychedelic therapy who will practice this within the medical system or within the, the, the mental health care system. We're not, we're not training people for the underground uh, and we're not training people um, to create a new kind of completely alien, different um, alternative kind of psychotherapy, but we, we want really um, integration yeah, we want uh, we want that doesn't mean that we don't want the way psychotherapy is is done to be changed over time um i think there's always room for improvement but we're, we're not trying to establish a, an alternative model but we really um, want to use what's there um, because it has a lot of good things um and um yeah, that's a, maybe the basic idea. The other basic idea I said already is we consider this therapy a, a form of psychotherapy. Um, and then people always ask, what kind of psychotherapy? Is this a psychodynamic or a cognitive behavioral or a systemic uh, training? And it's neither. Uh, or, or I could also say it's all of them because we we base um, this this um, training on um, on a, a general change mechanisms view, a, a common factors view of psychotherapy, 
that is derived from empirical psychotherapy research. So a lot of things that we do in the first um, uh, in the first meeting where we, people come to us the first time is we find a common language um, for discussing psychotherapy processes, substance augmented or, or not. Yeah. Um, and um, we, uh, that's another way in which we, we are integrative. So, um, yeah, I could, I could continue uh, probably for a long time. Maybe another thing that is important is um, self-experience with altered states. This happens in the program. We use breathwork, we use ketamine. We're working on using psilocybin as well, legally for, for self-experience. Um, but it's important for me to say that um, although self-experience is an important part of the training, it's not what the training is built on uh, solely. Yeah. Uh, we don't think that having ample self-experience with psychedelics is, is sufficient um, to be a therapist. We also, um, to the contrary, we also, also believe that there are certain risks of uh, having too much uh, uh, set experience of certain kinds. Uh, so we also emphasize um, um, the, the limitations um, and the risks of, of self-experience in therapists. So this is not a, it's, it's, it's a bit, um, again, like in other psychotherapies, of course you, you need self-experience in any kind of psychotherapy training. Um, but but it's not all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What should I uh, also say? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fun. It's very rewarding to work with with an international group of of um, yeah. of um, yeah mental health care professionals from from all over the world who I, I should say that. In this particular population, uh, people at this point in time, um, they have a, a, they all share a certain pioneering spirit, um, because there is this feeling that we're only just starting. You know, the things we, we that we talked about today, the possibilities in the future, um, I think this this excites a lot of a lot of us, and, yeah. and that's also the spirit that we have in this program. Yeah, it's, it's very hopeful. And I think that that, um, you yeah, know, that, you know, that pioneering spirit and that, you know, there's, there's a hopefulness in there, too, it sounds like. And that's, to me, what's tremendously inspiring about this work, especially when you kind of contrast it with the sense of sort of like um, stagnation um, and um, you know, just treading water in um you know, basically uh, mental health, mainline mental health treatment today. And it just seems like it's a problem that's mm -hmm. constantly uh, growing and um, very little headway, you know, and so to have something that like, you know, hey, we, you know, if we, uh, you know, think differently here mm -hmm. and build on, build on what's there, you know, and, and sort of leverage, um, you know, these experiences, um, you know, maybe there is, uh you know, maybe there, there's some excitement and there's some hope, which I think is sorely lacking in the, you know, broadly in that field. It just seems like it's, it's, it's really rough out there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I resonate with that. Although I, I should say, mm, 
that a lot of the stagnation, I think, that we're seeing in mental health um, is not about not knowing what could be done, but actually having it's a problem mm. of resources. Um, yeah. Yes. So, uh, and that's also, I think, where I see problems with the, the idea of um, solving these problems with psychedelics, because psychedelic therapy is not a cheap therapy. It's not, uh, perhaps it's even more expensive. Um, right to to yeah. do this safely and and efficiently um than than other therapies it may still be worth it because perhaps it's it's in the end more more effective and and even safer um but it's probably not something that will um that will um solve the the scarcity of resources in the mental health sector that's on a on a on a societal level and i think yes. there's a parallel in a, on an individual level so uh, I remember myself when I started working with, with psychedelics, having this hope or this idea of it's an implicit idea. I, I only I, I was not really aware of it. I, I only noticed it and kind of it turned out to 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 be something that I um, uh, became more aware of is um, the hope that my incompetencies uh, as a, as a psychotherapist would be compensated um, by by using psychedelics. That they, the, the drugs uh -huh. would do the the work for me. You know? uh -huh. I don't have to understand the patient completely. I I just have to provide a safe container, uh, and then the experience um, will will take care of everything. And uh, that has been that hope. Uh, has been I gladly have to say that that hope has been disappointed. <laughs> uh -huh. That is not the case. Uh, it's more like um, it makes it even more working with psychedelics with patient. I think make, has made it more obvious for me that the, that um, it is really a hard job to be a, a psychotherapist. There's a lot of of things that you have to know and to learn, and this is also something. So this is my personal experience. Uh, I get more motivated in, in in learning about psychotherapy, but it's also uh, something that we see a lot in our participants in the in in the training that we do. Is that people come out of it, um, especially people who are who are psychiatrists, um, with a with a more uh, somatic understanding of psychiatry, which is it differs between countries. Germany and I think the U.S. Uh, psychiatry is is uh, um, uh, goes hand in hand with psychotherapy often also in the training in other countries that's not the case necessarily uh, or also somatic doctors who, who have an interest in psychotherapy um, they usually after a year or so they they decide okay i will i will dive deeper much deeper into psychotherapy now because i i realize i cannot fully um, uh, use the, these methods without gaining a deeper understanding uh, and more training in psychotherapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I share that that disappointment in the vision that psychedelics would do all the work. Um, I've, I've worked with a lot of clients in, in my private practice around harm reduction and integration, where, um, yeah, just these experiences where I expected them to come back after a, a, an experience with MDMA or psilocybin with all of this content to work with and all of this perspective and uh, that doesn't always happen. And again, it's really 
pointed me towards this question of how do we best prepare people? And as, yeah. as you said, you know, I think having more time to, to flesh out a, a model, a case conceptualization, uh, you know, a working sense of some basic principles of yeah. uh, how, you know, what, what's causing the problems that, that would inform change. Like that's, I think, really important work um, in setting the stage for getting the most out of these experiences. Otherwise, people are more likely to just to have experiences that are confusing or weird or maybe nothing yeah. happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, in my experience, uh, it's more the rule than the exception. After a dosing session, the next day, yeah, uh, to have a patient who is confused or, or disappointed, um, than to have a patient who is completely relieved or or um, or so. So it's it's more more often the case that uh, there is an actual. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I find a good word for it. There there is a a situation where you have a sense that it's really important what I do now as a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. If this patient goes home now without this therapy session. They will not be well, or or at least they will not ideally benefit from from that experience. And then very often after sitting together one hour, um, the, the 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 kinds of experiences that we read about in research or in articles, yeah, that people have emotional breakthrough experiences, or that people have um, uh, suddenly important insights about themselves. Um, this often happens in the integration session and not in the or not entirely in the in the dosing session itself and um i think it's it's very hard to or it, let's say let's put it positively it's much easier to to come to that point and to to use these sessions well when you when you have a, a good internal model of your patient yeah. when you have a, a psychotherapeutic understanding of of um, their motives, their their inner conflicts, uh, their their um, uh, um, perhaps their lack of certain abilities, uh, and also their strengths. Yeah, um, when you uh, when you don't have all that, and that is in in essence psychotherapy. When you don't have all that, then then all you can really do is provide a safe container which is fine yeah uh, but but it's mm -hmm. very often probably not enough yeah or you can you can do the same with all patients you can just do we, we do a meditation and then and then we do some uh, whatever uh, um, um, chanting uh, or I don't know what, yeah, but we cannot do the same with all patients. We have to work individually, and that that is difficult. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, you said um, you're having a good model, you know, of your patient, and then you know, of course, as we alluded to earlier, like leading into this process, helping them have a good model of themselves, you know, like so that they're making sense of of their lives and 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 what they need. And and to me, this is what gives me um, hope. Alluding back to that. Um, you know, a minute ago talking about, you know, the hopefulness, I think, in this, which is, you know, you um, sort of immediately named the very, very important 
aspect that this is a social problem, like our, our burgeoning mental health problem crisis, as we've taken to calling it, is a social problem. It's not a problem of a bunch of in individuals mm. with mental illness. Like this is created systemically, um, and um, and so throwing, you know, like it's, um, you know, we ever will you ever have enough resources to keep fixing the problems that are being created upstream? Uh, and I think what makes me most hopeful is that, you know, my is that we can impact through this upstream a little bit more. Um, I think yeah. that we have as a society, uh, including, you know, I, I think how we've worked with mental illness in the last few decades, um, we sort of kind of um, entrained passivity and lack of agency into people, um, you know, through a lot of thinking like, well, you know, this is a problem in my brain that I need to have something to mm -hmm. fix. Um, I mean, I just think that that's a, a, a horribly damaging, horribly damaging idea. Um, mm -hmm. Catastrophic. I, I think it's been catastrophic um, because yeah. it, it, it robs people completely of, of agency and their own ability to make sense of their lives. You know, it's like, well, there's nothing I can do. I just need somebody else to give me something to fix me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a process of, a person being empowered and empowering themselves to make different sense of uh, of their lives and understanding then that oh actually how, what's important is how i interact with my life and noticing if well okay i have needs and these needs aren't being met and then forcing the issue and then forcing our systems to adapt to that no we, we can't just throw drugs at this like this and like working bottom up up the ladder mm -hmm. to sort of like assert that humans have needs and you know and and um, so my hope is that all of the systems, you know, are impacted by this, you know, over time, like that's my fondest hope. I mean, who knows, mm -hmm. but I think if you really, um, you know, if we think of treatment as a, of an individual, yeah, that's hopeful and exciting. And everything we're talking about today seems really exciting, mm -hmm. but the mm -hmm. truly transformative thing is if this and what we learn from that impacts our systems up the chain. And I think it, I, I can see that being something that could happen it, if it really mm. changes our view of what's happening of mm. what people need um that kind of sort of forces us to confront the inadequacy of what we've been doing mm. yes so, yes i want to to say a, a very a small example for how i think this already happening in the trials that we're doing mm. so when we started the trial we, we needed a room to do um in, in both centers we, we needed a room to do the dosing sessions and um, obviously, when you go into a hospital, it's it's impossible in a, a normal hospital. It's impossible to find a room that is suitable for psychedelic dosing sessions. So um, we had to, uh, yeah, push a lot of buttons and pull a lot of strings and levers to to um, get a, a, a nice room furnished. Um, and that's why we do the dosing sessions now. And um, this is an example of the, this treatment having demands, putting demands on the on the system in, in which it is delivered, um, that have a have the power to change the system more broadly. Yeah. So now in in this unit where we have the room, all the everybody's working there. Everybody who, who works there knows this room. They can't use it. But they've seen it 
and they um, and they they also uh, uh, I think um, become a bit jealous, and they also want a room like that. Um, and another thing that happens is people um, on the ward where this room is in the beginning that didn't know very well what's going on in there and what are the specific demands. Like you cannot have, let's say, a construction site um, drilling holes in the next room. Uh, that ha all of that has happened, yeah. And uh, we had we had to go there and, and talk to them. And over time, they learned to right. Uh, it's it's a or let's say we learned from each other, yeah, uh, how to coordinate this better. So this this form of treatment has a lot of um, these are very simple uh, uh, practical things, yeah. But also in terms of the the psychosocial demands. Um, one can think of similar things yeah? and then uh, I, I can th that is where I, I share this optimism Nate that by bringing in this these new treatments we, we may be able to change um, over time if things go well the, the, the healthcare system perhaps society more broadly yeah. yes and it isn't just like um and I think you, you, when you say something like that, and I say something like that, I think a lot of times it'll get the accusation of like, uh, it's fashionable to kind of say, oh, you know, these psychedelic advocates just think everything's going to be peace, love and understanding if you just throw psychedelics at it, which is emphatically not what <laughs> we're saying. We're saying that these systems may be able to be impacted, but not by magic, um, yeah. by, by, you know, hard work and learning to understand what's going on and asserting, you know, that humans aren't machines and have needs. You know, like basically that. And by asserting that humans aren't machines and have needs and can't yeah. be just manipulated by, um, you know, manipulated by um, stabilization of brain chemicals and that we actually have to listen and attend to ourselves and each other, that that can create peace, love and understanding up the chain. But it isn't magic. This is a tool. And um, yeah. I think it's a tool that, that we have only begun to 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 see how we can leverage um, but I think it it it, it can um, it, it can have those effects if we uh, if we work hard and learn from it. Well, to recap today, we learned a lot. Uh, we learned that uh, Max hates music festivals. <laughs> I, I, That's I, not true. I, in fact, Max hates music altogether. He doesn't. <laughs> no, I forgot. You you both went on the record to say you like music festivals, and I will join you in uh, uh, promoting music festivals as a legitimate avenue and context for using psychedelics or whatever you want to do there. Um, well, thanks, Max, for your your generous time and. Uh, I think, you know, what you're doing there in Germany is great. It, it's really fascinating for me to talk to somebody and get a, a perspective from, you know, a different country, how things are different, you know, a bit different there and how the psychedelic uh, movement is playing out, you know, all over the world, really. And uh, it's it's great that we have this technology that we can we can coordinate, collaborate together. And uh, it was really a wonderful conversation and really wish you all the best with mind and your study and, and everything else. And uh, maybe we'll have you back someday. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me, Brian. And also, I was just thinking about how, how with all the negative things that this pandemic has brought with it, of course, uh, there are so many 
positive changes as well. I, I would have never imagined to to be in a situation like this right now to have a Zoom call. I didn't even know what Zoom was. To, to have to have a am I allowed to say this? Yeah, to have a uh, to have a, a video call with, yep. with people from overseas and and to cooperate with you guys uh, mm -hmm. in a in a training that's half online and and half on site and yeah things become so um have become so much more um interconnected mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just something that uh, it made me happy just now and i wanted to mention it so yeah thanks for thanks for um for giving me the the opportunity to share some of my thoughts today and um yeah i really hope to see you guys in uh, in person at some point either maybe next year um in the us i think there are some interesting conferences or perhaps here in in berlin yeah that'd be wonderful and i really appreciate um and um yeah i'm sure i'll i'll uh we'll see you on twitter relatively soon anyway <laughs> <laughs> thank you nate Thanks again for listening to another episode of Altered States of Context. If you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter by going to alteredstatesofcontext.com. You'll also find information there about where to find us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Your listening means a lot to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great trip.